March 3rd, 2019. The only Nationals baseball podcast you'll ever need goes to spring training. Tonight's topics, Bryce Harper is gone, but Craig Kimbrell might be on his way. Plus, the Nats have a depth problem. And are Rob Manfred's pace of play initiatives a solution in search of a problem? From West Palm Beach, Florida, the spring home of the Washington Nationals, this is the Rashcast with Jake and John. Hi, welcome to the Rashcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Johnny. And we're here in beautiful West Palm Beach, Florida, the home of the Washington Nationals spring training. This is actually the first time we've ever been down here, and I gotta say, it's pretty fun. Nice ballpark, nice people. People who are smart enough to not wear any Bryce Harper memorabilia. And the people who were wearing Bryce Harper jerseys yesterday, they all had his name crossed out. We saw someone who had a Bryce Harper sucks jersey. So speaking of that Bryce Harper... Now that's how you segue. Uh, so on Thursday, John Heyman reported, as many people now know, that Bryce Harper officially announced yesterday, signed a $13, $330 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, we already covered what this means for the Nats because when we thought two weeks ago when he signed with the Phillies, he was going to sign with the Phillies. So we're not going to rehash that. We're just going to go our immediate reactions, you know, how we feel about it. Well, my big problem here is that it's sad that we're going to end up being a footnote in the career of Bryce Harper, who, as we all know, has the potential to be an inner circle Hall of Famer. And he has the skills. Now, whether or not he can overcome injuries and actually become that player is another thing. But I always wanted to be able to root for him to be able to do that. And now, for obvious reasons, I can't do that. And that stinks. But I, I for me personally, I, I'm excited for this. I mean, I'd rather him stay with the Nats or go with a different team. But I think it's going to be fun for us to root against him finally. He's always been the perfect villain you know, he's cocky, he's kind of a jerk about things. More he's than very he, more than being a jerk, my problem with him is that he's just so artificial. Right. He I mean the first tweet that he sent out after he signed was a tweet promoting MLB the show twenty nineteen, which he's a cover athlete for. So it's just the fact that he never really seemed like he's never really seemed genuine. Uh he's always kind of robotic. And you saw yesterday him going through the motions of the press conference, you know, he, he said, I want to bring a title to DC because he said that so many times. He's so used to it going through the motions. Right. He, I don't know if he's, he never really seemed a part of DC ever since he was drafted. He always seemed like rented time. You know, the first articles written, you know, when will Bryce Harper become a Yankee? It was never really about how long he'd stayed in that. It was about when he became a free agent and how that, and how he was going to leave the Nats. So it always seemed like rented time for us. And I think that him leaving and going to the division rival is good marketing for both sides, actually. You know, Phillies, obviously, because they get the most marketable player in baseball. But also for the Nats, this is going to be a cool rivalry between us and Philly. I mean, the everyone has April 2nd circle, circled on their calendar. And it's going to be all eyes on the national media are going to be turned to D.C. that night. Do people still have physical calendars that they circle dates on? I do. Like in movies? Uh-huh. Okay. I have like the calendar that says like days till this and then cross them out. Of course. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think that 
impetus now on the Nationals for the next 13 years is to stay relevant for at least the majority of those 13 years. And in that vein, I think one of the things they have to do, obviously, is sign Anthony Rendon to that extension. But they're going to have to... I mean, the Phillies have put together a very good core. Obviously, some of those players are... You know, Real Muto's only signed for the next two years, but... I mean, there's no reason why they can't extend him either, or... Right. I mean, they have so, still have so much money, even... Because the Bryce Harper deal, I mean, Craig Calcaterra wrote about this, and I agree with it. It's pretty team-friendly. The AAV is not it, that hard to get over. It's $26 million per year. So, for a team, it's not going to eat up a bunch of your payroll per year. It's a large total contract, but... Again, for, for the per year, you can still add pieces. You can extend Real Muto. Um, you know, they could even still be active players this offseason. I know, and they had they had such little salary obligation beforehand as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I know they've been. I and now segueing into another conversation. I know they've been linked to Craig, Craig Kimbrell a bit, Dallas Keuchel. Um, but going back to Kimbrell a bit, there are reports, rumors going around about how the Nationals have been are still interested in getting him. And um, Keith Wall tweeted last night after Ken Rosenthal reported earlier the day that the Nationals were interested. Keith Wall said that things were going along a little further than initially reported, which means there's more going on than what it, than what Rosenthal reported. And I think losing Harper, gaining Kimbrell is not exactly the same, but you're getting a Hall of Fame cal- – you could be getting a Hall of Fame caliber player – um, to help shore up what is probably the weakest part of this team is well, the bullpen. So I agree with that. I think that the bullpen is probably the weakest part of the team. Uh, and I think that obviously losing Harper is bad, but if the Nats are willing to spend over the luxury tax and they weren't just willing to spend over the luxury tax on Harper, that adding Kimbrell and, say, Keuchel, if they were interested, would be a better use of that money than going for Harper because they are pretty well covered in the outfield. The outfield is, you know, Robles, Eaton, Soto. It's it's a pretty solid outfield. Uh, and I agree that the, it, the bullpen is the weakest part of the team, and a big part of that is bullpen depth. The issue here is that the Nationals do not, as a team have much depth in a lot of areas. They don't have a ton of depth in starting pitching. They're about six, seven deep, depending on how much you like Eric Fetty. Uh, They don't really have a ton of depth in the outfield. They're about four outfielders deep, deep, uh, depending on your view of Howie Kendrick and Matt Adams as outfielders. And in the bullpen... There may be five or six arms deep right now. And that's A, not enough to feel the complete bullpen, but B, puts them in a great deal of trouble if someone gets hurt. Yeah, and we're already seeing some of the injuries, uh, Coda Glover with shoulder, uh, elbow inflammation, and. No, you can't ever count on Coda Glover. Exactly. And Justin Miller has a back injury, which flared up again yesterday during the game. Um, so, you know, how does a team. You know, fix these depth problems. You know, signing Kimbrel helps fill out the bullpen. You can move everyone back a role. And you also don't have the need for a lefty as much because you can move Doolittle out of the closer role and into 
more of a versatile lefty role. I know he will probably end up being the eighth inning guy if we move if we get Kimbrel, but you don't have as much of a need. You can use him in high leverage lefty situations, like if he faces Bryce Harper in a game, which I think is the best matchup I'd like to see. I mean, Doolittle has held lefties without a hit in 2018, and him against Harper would just be incredible to watch. I'm very excited for that matchup. Well, so am I, obviously, and Doolittle versus Kimbrel, or Harper versus Kimbrel would be fun too. Uh, we've seen enough of that to know how much fun it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing him in 2014 in a meaningless home run in like a 6 nothing game, hit a long bomb into the second deck off of Kimbrel. But uh, the more important thing is the Nationals, just generally as an organization, have for basically the entire time of their contention, have had trouble producing depth. And a lot of that is the fact that they have been contending, they have lower draft picks, and there are really two ways to produce depth in the major leagues. One is through prospect drafting, and the other is through minor league free agency. The problem with minor league free agency as an avenue for making depth is that the guys that you think are major league caliber, the guys that you would want as backups don't really want to be in the minor leagues. Guys like, for instance, Carlos Gonzalez, who might be a useful piece the Nationals wanted to add outfield depth. You would rather have, because of the way the roster is constructed, a guy who can play center in Michael A. Taylor than putting Gonzalez on the roster, the active roster. But you want a guy like that in the organization. Problem is he wants to be on the active roster and he probably wants to start. So the Nationals haven't had a great deal of luck with minor league free agents as depth pieces. They did have Edwin Jackson in 2017, who came in somewhat handy. They got very unlucky in 2018 because Jackson had a June 1st opt-out, and Strasburg got hurt hurt on the 7th, or the 8th, actually, pardon me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they... You know, they've had problems with depth that have sunk them in the past. In 2013, the problem wasn't depth so much as the fact that they had bench pieces, but they were all terrible. Uh, they all underperformed from 2012. So you could say the problem was not depth by design, but depth in fact. Uh, the team just, the depth did not show up. Uh, 2014, they really didn't need depth. They had an insane injury luck year. But really the only injury that they had besides Doug Fister missed a month and Ryan Zimmerman was Ryan Zimmerman. But apart from that, they had very, very good injury luck. And when they went on their run from late July on, they didn't have a single injury to worry about. Uh, Then 2015, again, they were sunk by death. They had injuries to Zimmerman. They had injuries to Worth. They had... Uh, injuries to Rendon, and they had, obviously those players were integral parts to the team. You don't expect that you're going to be able to cover for them completely, but, you know, when Tyler Moore is seeing 100 games a year, uh, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 16, they got out to an incredibly hot start in a weak division, and uh, when they needed the depth, they... Well, they didn't have the depth they needed, but by that time, 
they were so far ahead in the division it didn't matter. And 17, they needed the depth, but they got incredibly lucky because Dusty Baker somehow managed to coax really, really good performances out of depth pieces that didn't deserve to be playing as well as they did. Adrian Sanchez in the two-hole. Adrian Sanchez in the two-hole, and I'm thinking of obviously Brian Goodwin. Uh, Michael A. Taylor played amazingly as depth for Adam Eaton. Uh, it was a very strange season. The, they kept having people go down, and then the person who would come in their place played even better. It was amazing. Uh, and in 2018, they had so many injuries. Uh, the truth was that really, especially with the outfield, it wasn't the depth issue so much as they burned through their depth because of all the injuries, at least early in the season, mm -hmm. when they had every outfielder that they had go down and were forced to put Moises Sierra in the five hole. Hey, but without those injuries, we probably wouldn't have called up Soto. That is true. Yeah. Uh, and... Juan Soto has basically single-handedly kept the Nationals' window of contention open uh, in that he gave ownership the sort of freedom to have a big offseason like this, knowing that they had this guy for the next six seasons. Yeah, uh, I got to say, though, even though it's spring, still looks great. I mean, yesterday he roped a triple down the line, hit it harder than I've seen most balls hit. It, it was past the first baseman, Lucas Duda, before he had time to react. Yeah. It was amazing. He is the truth. I would not expect a sophomore slump out of this guy. No, all he does is hit wherever he is. Right. Japan, he hit well. I mean, he's hitting almost 500 at spring this year. He just hits. Yeah, he just hits. I mean, he's, he's one of those players who's not a well-rounded you know, five-tool guy. We saw him try and cut off and fail to cut off a ground ball past him, uh, past the line at third. He's not going to be a great outfielder. He's not going to be a great base runner, but he is going to hit, and he's going to hit enough that it doesn't matter what he does elsewhere on the field. Mm -hmm. But uh, the point is that so the Nationals are very thin right now, and the way to get over that is prospects and, and have a consistent churn of, you know, they don't need to be stars. The Nationals have stars, but, you know, at least usable in the major leagues. And the Nationals haven't really had that since they've contended. Uh, and part of that is the lower draft picks that they've had because of contention. But part of that is that they've really done a poor job finding usable guys in later rounds. I think that's always been a problem with the Nats. We're very good at drafting top-tier talent and finding those guys, which is a skill in itself. Lucas Giolito accepted. Luke, well, we got something for Giolito still, so I, I consider that a win. Um, well, especially considering he was a 16th pick. Yeah, and you know he was supposed to be a top pick and then Tommy John all that. Right. But I think it was a good risk to take. It was. Um, you could also say that about Fetty, too, about how he was... He's the same boat as Lucas Giolito, supposed to be top pick, Tommy John surgery, and so on. Um, but they've always had a problem with finding that lower tier talent, as you said. Um, you know, the later later round draft picks, the later round gems, and again, it shows. Yeah, with our lack of depth, we have teams like the Red Sox, who are able to find players 
and have built a lot of depth in their farm system. And then also add a top of that with free agency. The Nationals have not drafted a starter. One that's made, you know, many, many starts in the major leagues, say over 20 starts in the major leagues, or real quality starts. They haven't drafted a guy like that. I mean, since Strasburg, probably. Robbie Ray was technically the last guy to have done it. That's true. Uh, they have, even guys that they've traded, I mean, you want to blame this on the trades that they've made to stay in contention, but most of the guys that they've traded who weren't major leaguers, who were prospects, haven't really panned out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Nationals really have had trouble developing pitching, either starting or bullpen. Uh, and and Glover was an eighth round pick. He was supposed to be that guy. I think eighth round. Uh, but we'll have our research team get on it. Uh, he was a later round draft pick who zoomed through the minor leagues. He was supposed to be a guy like that. Eighth round. Uh, but he has fallen victim to the Aaron Barrett disease. Or if you want to go old school, the Christian Garcia, Christian Garcia, or the Cole Kimball disease. Uh, and so the Nationals just haven't built that kind of prospect base where they can. And that that's all the vogue in Major League Baseball right now, having guys with options who you can churn in and out. Uh, Wander Suero is interesting. But apart from that, not really a ton of prospect depth. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's our major problem with this team i mean i honestly even though not signing bryce harper i can see us um really having to trade you know you don't know how good eaton's gonna be this year how healthy he's gonna be and he hasn't been um healthy in the past and you don't know what you're gonna get from taylor you know he looks good in springs but he's, he's always a spring mvp so i can really see the nats having to trade first and i'll fail this deadline uh in in july which is kind of funny just because, you know, we passed up on Bryce Harper. Do you think Bryce Harper is going to be available? I think so, too. I think so. Well, see, the problem here is that there are ways to overcome this problem with depth, and the, the way to do it that the Nationals have is essentially just making your team so good, making all the number one options so good that it doesn't matter what the depth looks like. Yeah, we've really always been a stars and scrubs type team where, you know, we're very top-heavy, and it's carried us, and I'm... It'll be interesting to see if that works again this year because I think we're going to have – the lineup is deeper than it's been in the past, I believe. Um, Maybe not better, but deeper. It's definitely deeper, yeah. We don't have necessarily – I mean, losing Bryce Harper is that guy. Who? I don't know. Um, we don't have that necessarily star talent per se. I mean, Soto is the closest thing in this lineup to star talent. Um, but, you know, you have – an insult to Rendon. I mean, Rendon isn't a star. He's never been an all-star. He's never, you know, he, he's star talent. He's he, just not ever. He's not flashy. He's not a star. And to, I mean, the guys had uh, what is it? A one forty-one and a one forty OPS plus of the last two years. No, he's very, very good, and I'm not doubting that. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be an all-star. I'm not saying he shouldn't get more recognition. But he's not a star. He's not. But he plays like one. So who cares if he is one? I mean, he's not marketable, but we're not talking about marketable. We're not selling jeans here. Um, but I think, you know, you have a lineup one through eight, you know, who I think could hit 20 homers each in each spot of the lineup, potentially. Maybe not Eaton, but, you know, I think, you know, Turner's shown 20 homer pop before. I doubt he does 19 it 19 homer pop. Yeah. 
19 homer pop. Um, he did it last year, and it was a down year for him. He could, yeah. If he did it last year, he could do it again. Yeah, I mean, Soto, 20 homer pop. Rendon, 20 homer pop. Dozier, 20 homer pop. Uh, Zerman, 20 homer pop. I mean, Jan Gomes has a 20 homers. So does Kurt Suzuki. Um, I mean, just from the catcher position, we could get that. And I think, I don't know if Robles will be that guy this year, but I think he could get 15. I see that. He had three last year in just one month. Well, I mean, we don't want to project out yeah, from one month. one month. But, I mean, it, it's hard to say how good Robles is going to be. Uh, but I trust the talent evaluators. And uh, I imagine he's going to be he's going to be the type of player who is productive even when he's not hitting. Uh, because he's just such a good defender and such a good base runner. Or such a fast base runner. Yeah, He does seem to have problems making base running decisions. Uh, but moving on from the Nationals, moving more to general baseball issues, we've been talking a lot about the three-batter rule, or the new changes that MLB is considering uh, to quicken the pace of play in baseball. And among those, we've got the mound visit rule, which I really don't have a problem with. Uh, but we've also got this three batter rule, which, again, I don't really have a problem with, per se. I don't think it would bother me. It's just, it's addressing a problem that doesn't really exist, which is my problem with it. Uh, the problem it's trying to address is these one batter appearances that Rob Manfred seems to have gotten into his head, are prevalent. That, that relievers are coming in for shorter and shorter time spans, uh, and that is what's slowing down the game. That and the sort of mid-inning pitching change. Uh, and while I agree that relievers are the problem, I don't think the problem is that relievers are coming in for shorter and shorter time stretches. In fact, from the period from 2014 to 2018, uh, where reliever appearances have gotten all out of whack, uh, where starters have started going from six innings to five innings. Uh, you know, major changes in the game have taken place over those five years. So even as all that's happened, we've actually gotten reliever appearances have, have actually gone up uh, in terms of length. It's gone from about you know less than an inning to I think it's now 1.2 uh, innings. Uh, so an inning and a fifth, uh, you know, it's not a, a huge uptick, but it isn't the main driver of the problem here. The main driver of the problem is that starters are not going as long and it's not that relievers are going shorter. It's just that because starters aren't as going as long, there are more relievers. Uh, and I don't think this problem is addressed at all by the three batter rule. I mean, I, I think if you're trying to address the mid-inning pitcher change, address it head-on. Ban, you know, say give, give teams a limit on the number of mid-inning pitching changes they can make absent injury. You know, one or game, one a game, you get a second if it goes into extras, something like that. That's a direct, you know, way to address that problem. But... The idea that you're going to fix pace of play in this roundabout way, or you're going to fix the problem that starters aren't going long enough in a roundabout way, is, is ridiculous. I mean, there are other ways to do it. 
limit the number of pitchers on the roster. They're, they're actually considering doing that. Uh, they're considering if they're going to add an extra man, putting a 13-pitcher limit on a roster, which I think is good. Uh, but if you're going to do that, you also have to limit the number of ways that a pitcher can be cycled back and forth between the minors and the majors, which is the major problem we have today, that teams are essentially using interchangeable hordes of relievers, and they're sending them down when they pitch, you know, three innings on one day. Uh, the 10-day DL rule has proven to be a complete failure because uh, it's been manipulated by teams like the Rays and Dodgers. It's not the DL, it's the IL. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. Uh, it's the IL now. It was the DL when it was being manipulated, though. Uh, and the if you want to address the real problem, address it head on. Don't come up with this sort of halfway solution that doesn't actually address anything. Uh, and as Johnny is pulling up the Travis Sauchik article on 538, that foul balls are the pace of play problem. Nobody's talking about that. We've seen an increase in foul balls, and that's obviously... Yeah, and that's um, I think that's a bigger problem. I don't really know the solution for this, but it's a bigger problem than Rob Manfred you know, believes. Rob Manfred, I think, has... A, is totally wrong about most things he does. I, I really don't like the guy. Um, and I think he's just really misguided in how he views uh, pace of play as an issue. I think it is an issue. The game is slower now than it's been, but there, the way he's tackling it is going about it all wrong. So going back to the foul ball, um, in 20, this is in the 538 article, which is a good article. Um, he In 2017, it was the first year where the number of foul balls were actually higher and the ball's put in play. Um, baseball has number of foul balls has increased by almost twelve percent since nineteen ninety eight, and it's it's a problem with you know really pitchers just having better stuff now. They throw harder. They throw harder and they throw with more movement. So players are just if you square up the ball, the ball's going to go far, but you're also just fouling off and waiting for your pitch to get. Um, and so unless you move the mound back. Or tell pitchers to stop throwing. You know, you have there are other ways to address the the starter pitching. You know, the velocity crisis in baseball. The, I mean, I would say that one way to do it is actually the pitch clock. Give pitchers less time to load up and and get ready to throw. Uh, you know, they've shown that over the last thirty years or so, uh, the time in between individual pitches has gone up. As velocity has gone up, there probably is some sort of correlation there, and, and I think players would attest to that. Uh, but the other way you can do it is limiting the number of relief appearances. Relievers throw about three miles an hour harder than starters. You make starters go out there and throw longer, they will not be able to sort of throw 100% every single time. They'll have to pace themselves. That's what they used to do. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that the crisis in velocity is due to pitchers having higher max velocity than they used to, so much as they're throwing max velocity, max effort all the time because so many of them are relievers and because teams will shuttle those relievers sort of to the point of anonymity, uh, 
they're sort of forced to throw 100% every single time. Uh, now, those are the problems you can be legislating and addressing, but the, the three batter limit doesn't really do that. doesn't do much of anything mm -hmm. except change the way that baseball is structured. As a matter of fact, the loogie, uh, the left-handed one-out guy, uh, is a dead letter. I mean, the, the, the truth is that we have seen a drop in the number of left-handed one-out appearances, the kind of thing that this rule will be legislating against. Uh, it, it's just sort of a, a problem in search, or a solution in search of a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, I think you said it very well. Thank you. I appreciate You're welcome. that. Um, so I think we have enough time to play a quick game. I love games. You love games? Uh, we played a game last week. Um, so let's go with the game. Um, well, it's hard this time because I managed, I did research last time and my research is on my computer and we're both looking at my computer right now. Um, so, you know, let's just play another round of what team does this guy play for? We played this last week, um, and it was fun. I enjoyed it. I think Jacob enjoyed it too. Did you? I had a great time. You had a great Thanks time. For asking. So we're, I'm going to ask him. I'll ask him where um, four players are playing this year, and I want to see if he can get where they're playing. He's covering up half. I'm the covering screen up the right screen now. so he can't see it. Okay. So let's start with. Uh, do you know where Dionir Navarro is playing? Dionir Navarro is still playing. He's still playing. Oh my god! But do you know with whom? No, I didn't even know he was still around. I thought he retired like three years ago. He played last year. For who? The Blue Jays or the White Sox? The White Sox. Yeah, but he's not on the White Sox this year. Okay. So I'm going to go with the San... He hasn't, he hasn't played since 2016. San Diego Padres. That is incorrect. Well, okay. He played... He's on the... He got an invite with the Indians. Really? Yes. Good for him. I'm so glad he's still around. Okay. How about, uh, did we do Ricky Lanasco last week? Maybe, but I can't remember what <laughs> team he's on. So. so it doesn't matter. What team is Ricky Nolasco on? I'm going to say the Minnesota Twins. That would be incorrect. He is on spring training with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think we did that last week. I think so, too. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because you still don't remember. Nope. All right. What about Jason Hamill? Jason Hamill. This one you should, might be able to get. I remember when this happened. I remember seeing something like that. Someone say Texas? That is correct. Texas. Yes. Yeah, Texas. It's Texas. Uh, they did a good job this offseason getting just random uh, pitchers to yep. fill out rotation. I like it when teams fill up their rosters with players I've heard of. I was saying this about the Blue Jays. They didn't have a good offseason, but basically... By signing all of these random guys that I've heard of instead of having random non-prospects go out there and play, I at least feel more comfortable with them. They're still going to finish fifth or fourth in that division. Not they can't fifth, finish fifth. Because the Orioles are going to lose 130 games. I mean, oh, the team's going to be so bad this year. It's going to be so I, fun. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go with um, 2016 All-Star. 
Michael Saunders. Michael Saunders. Which team did he get a non-roster invite with? The British Columbia man. Uh, Colorado Rockies. Yeah, that's correct. What? Did you just guess? No, I thought it was the Rockies. Oh, you're right. Go me. Um, and then lastly, uh, let's go with Randall Delgado. Randall Delgado. Remember, he started the game in 2012, the John Lennon game, where John Lennon single-handedly saved our season. Uh, yeah. Randall Delgado. Which team is he got? A, did he get a non-roster invite with? Have you guessed the Diamondbacks? That is incorrect. It is the Chicago White Sox. Look at that. Cool. I'm so glad that Randall Delgado is still up and doing things. Well, that's been our show. It has been. Um, let us know if you want to see anything from spring training or you want to, you know, us to run on the field and ask Juan Soto a question. Yes, or just give him a hug. Or give him a hug. We'll hug him for you. Yes. Um, but uh, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week. And when I said we had something special planned for spring training, what I meant was just a really good show. Yes. All right. Thanks so much. See you next week. Bye-bye.